what breaks and what builds relationships. How do we actually do those relationships? And um, we're trying to deepen our relationships within our church. And as Graham prayed, we're trying to extend our relationships around our church as well. We're deepening the community within our church family and we're through our groups and through our own ministry initiatives, we're trying to reach out in love to the community around our church family. And we're doing this uh, because God wants us to go through life together, not just on our own. That we, God uh, came up with the idea of church and uh, it's a good idea and he wants us to learn how to do church well and uh, be together in a family well. And so during these 40 days, uh, we have these six messages on how to deepen our relationships. And we're in small groups, and we're studying and discussing the six videos that go along with it uh, to deepen our relationship with ourselves and then deepen our relationship with the world and understand how to, how to do that. And so if you're not in a small group, there is a small group available for you. We have small groups on every day of the week, and we have some during the day and some at night. So if you're not in a small group, come and talk to me, and we'll get you in a group. Uh, there's only been two groups so far, so you've got four more to go. You haven't even missed half of it yet. And uh, there's lots of good stuff t- still going on. So if you're not in a group, please join one. Um, we are essentially, as we've been talking about, created and, and designed to go through life together. We're formed for a family. And the Bible says in Romans 12:5, it says, Christ makes us one body and individuals who are connected to each other. And so you may not realize it, but the people you're sitting next to, you're connected to. That's the way church works. Um, you know, you're connected to the person that's in the seat beside you. You're connected to the person that's across uh, the aisle from you. You're connected to the person that's across the room from you because we're all one body. We're all connected in relationships. Now, the problem is, is that it's easy to get disconnected in relationships. It's easy to get disconnected from your children. It's easy to get disconnected from your parents. It's easy to get disconnected from your brothers and sisters or from your friends or from your family or even from your husband or your wife if you're married. It's easy to get disconnected from your small group or disconnected from your church. We've all gone through life. We've all had that experience where we have best friends or we have really good friends or we have really strong relationships and those relationships just get disconnected. They either drift away over time or something happens and there's a sort of a wall that goes up between us or something changes in the, in our situation and those relationships disconnect. So we're designed for relationships. We're designed to be together. We know in our hearts and in our souls that we're drawn into relationships and we, we yearn for them, but then we get disconnected. And and something breaks in the relationship. And so today we're going to look at what causes that. Why do relationships fall apart? Why do relationships go bad? Because we're not going to be able to have healthy relationships being able to teach people about a God of love if we hate each other, right? Like if we're on each other's case and nitpicking and gossiping and annoyed with each other, it's going to be really hard to go outside to the community and say, oh yeah, God loves everybody, just not him because he's really a jerk. Um, You know, so we have to learn this. This is the point of today is to learn what breaks relationships and what builds them so that we actually have some credibility and authenticity as the Holy Spirit works in our lives to teach us how to build and maintain healthy relationships. We can go out to a world that is suffering under so many different broken relationships, family and friends and everything that you can imagine out there, and actually bring them hope in the form of reconciling and redeeming those relationships. So that's what this is about, is what breaks relationships and what builds them. And the first thing to hold in mind over everything that I'm talking about here, everything that I get into today, keep this in mind, is that everyone is different. God could have made us all alike. He could have made us all with the same opinions and the same preferences and the same likes 
Everybody could have been a Buffalo Bills fan. I don't know why they would, but they could be that. Everybody might be a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. No, well, I don't know, or a Senators fan. You know, God made us different, right? That's what makes life exciting is because we're all different. And so one of the purposes of the church and one of the purposes of small groups is that it teaches us relational skills because we've talked about this a few times since September in our First Corinthians series. We're all one body, but we're all different parts in a body. So some of us are ears and some of us are feet and some of us are hands and some of us are noses, but we're all different, but we're together in one body. And the first thing to keep in mind is that God made us all different. We're not all the same, but we're meant to be one body. And so the church then is like a laboratory for learning how to get along with each other. The skills that you learn in relating to people that are different for you can be applied in all kinds of different areas of your life. And God is through the church trying to teach you how relationships are redeemed right? The church was a big part of redeeming even class relations. And this is a much bigger topic in the States for sure. But if you think of the issue with slavery and and, uh, race relations in the church, which is still in the States, it's still an ongoing issue everywhere, not just in the States, much bigger issue there. Um, But the church was integral to the beginning of the healing and the redemption that takes place in those types of relationships or between the rich and the poor uh, or between genders or between um, just different kinds of people coming together in the church and being sort of a laboratory for God teaching us how those relationships are redeemed. So the first thing to keep in mind is that everybody is different. And what we're going to look at uh, is that uh, those differences cause tensions in our relationship. And so... Uh, we try to learn how to have these good relationships, but then we keep wrecking them. Our, our parents kind of taught us the building blocks. You know, we're taught early on to be generous. You know, everybody gets taught, share your toys, right? You teach that to your kids right from the beginning. Everybody be generous and share your toys. And we teach everybody to not be hurtful. You know, no hitting. Make sure that you ask for forgiveness. Don't be hurtful. Say you're sorry and respect authority. Listen to your mother. And, and all those other lessons that we teach in relationships, we, we're taught them very young, and we're taught them from the time we're born and through you know, preschool and then kindergarten and then school. We're taught over and over and over again all these lessons of healthy relationships. And yet we end up as adults in broken relationships. The world and our own desires rise up and sabotage those lessons that we've been learning. And we have to keep relearning how to have healthy relationships. And so today we're going to look at what destroys relationships and what rebuilds them. That God has not left us alone to sort of blindly sort this out on our own. That God has put us in this thing called church for a reason. That it was his idea. He teaches us we're a body of many parts for a reason. The body of Christ is his idea. He gives us scripture to teach us how to redeem our relationships. And he gives us the Holy Spirit to empower us and guide us in redeeming those relationships. And so today we're going to look and see what God has to say about that. Let's, let's just pray before we look into the, the points of the sermon this morning. Father God, we just come to you to um, uh, put our relational lives uh, at the cross, uh, to put um, our relationships with each other, with our parents, with our brothers and sisters, uh, in Christ and in family, with our people we work with and peers, and just all of our relationship, Lord. We're just taking all of that sort of relational side of our life and we're just bringing it to you this morning. Um, to examine our heart, to examine our lives, uh, and to have the light of your scripture and the light of your Holy Spirit shine in on it, uh, that we could be transformed. Above and beyond everything else, Lord, we desire transformation this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as we look at the things that can sort of destroy relationships or, or what breaks relationships, 
um, God has, has basically laid out through Scripture uh, at least four negative attitudes uh, that he speaks to directly in terms of breaking or destroying relationships. All the problems we have in a relationship comes as a result of one or more of these three or four problems. And they're the enemies of relationship. They're the enemies of the community that we're trying to build. And the first one is selfishness. Selfishness destroys relationships. It's the number one enemy. It's, it's the number one cause of conflict. It's the number one cause of arguments. It's the number one cause of divorce. It's the number one cause of war. You know, some dictator out there says, uh, I don't have something that I want, and you have the thing that I want, and because you have it and I want it, I'm going to go to war and take it. I mean, that's what causes conflict is selfishness. People want things for themselves. That's how it happens. And in James 4, it's one of the most profound, it's, it's a startling verse. A lot of things that James writes is startling, uh, the brother of Jesus. Uh, but James writes in chapter 4, uh, this is my paraphrase of, of chapter of verses 1 to 3. He says, what causes fights and quarrels? And then he goes ahead and answers. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it because you only want things to spend on your own pleasures. That pretty much tells it like it is. <laughs> Why are you guys fighting? Because you want something and you don't have it. And the thing that you want, you want to have just because you're selfish and you want to spend it on yourself. And so you fight. That's the cause of the problem. Your relationships are breaking because you're selfish. Everything starts because of our own self-centeredness. It's easy for selfishness to creep into relationships. When you start at a relationship, you work really hard at being unselfish, right? That's how you start to build a relationship is by being unselfish. Think about when you were dating, okay? You think about the time when you're dating and the way you behave towards, you know, your future spouse or the person that you are trying to court, right? Unselfishness rises to the top. You know, you open the door for them, you make them dinner, you will, you know, set aside your evening for them. If they don't have the money, you'll pay for it. You know, you, everything begins with this unselfish attitude. But then as time goes on, as you've been dating and then maybe engaged and then you get married, you know, selfishness starts to creep in. You know, and then it's more depressing than that because then you start to wonder, maybe I was being selfish by being unselfish because I really wanted that person to marry me. And so because I selfishly wanted that person, I just acted unselfishly so that I could get her. I mean, the heart is deceitfully wicked, right? And so we realize that in the end, we're actually acting selfishly because we really wanted something, especially for guys, right? Because we're trying to marry above our heads, right? Well, guys are always trying to marry up. And so we put on a good act of unselfishness to get what we really want, uh, which is a woman who will love us for the rest of our life uh, when we start behaving unselfishly. And... Uh, so that's the reality, though, is that selfishness creeps into relationships, right? And in every marriage, every relationship, soon after we have what we want, the selfishness starts to show up again. You know, one guy said, the first year when I was married, I would come home from work, and my wife would bring me my slippers, and the dog would bark at me. Five years later, the dog brings me my slippers. <laughs> Let that one sink in. Not only are we naturally selfish, I mean, we have this natural selfishness, but the culture around us is breeding that selfishness into us. It breeds self-centeredness. Every advertisement out there that comes your way caters to your self-centeredness. The reason they say, you know, have it your way. You deserve the best. You know, this is for you because you deserve it. Um, you know, uh, we do it all for you. Um, have it your way. These are the things that the, the, the culture is telling you all the time because it's feeding into the natural tendency we have to be self-centered. 
the, the tagline for, for Sprite is obey your thirst. That's, you know, Sprite, obey your thirst. I mean, that is a uh, self-centered attitude of literally biblical proportions. And, and the reason I say that, when you think about that tagline of obey your thirst... Uh, it, it means obey your urge. You know, you're just an animal, so obey what your urges are. And if you look in Philippians uh, chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, uh, it's interesting because the Bible actually anticipates this in our culture. It says, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their, and their glory is in their shame. And their mind is on earthly things. Their God is their stomach. In other words, they obey their thirst. That's what enemies of God do. Enemies of God obey their thirst. Enemies of God are driven by their desires and by their urges. And so next time you drink a Sprite, think about that. Um, the Bible anticipates this selfishness in our culture. The God would be our stomach. In Proverbs 28:25, it says, Greedy people cause trouble. If selfishness destroys relationships, then being unselfish builds them. And so what does being unselfish or selflessness mean? And basically, it just means being a little bit less of me and a little bit more of others. For me to be selfless, I just think of myself less and I think of others more. And I'm not, I, I just realize that I'm not the whole center of the universe, that I'm thinking about other people. And this is the first lesson that we have to learn in relationships, either relationships that have been broken or relationships that we're trying to build, is that we have to minimize ourselves in the relationship and emphasize the other person. In Philippians 2.4, it says, Look out for one another's interests, not just your own. Look out for the other person. Don't look out for yourself. Selflessness brings out the best in others. And if we're going to get better at this, we have to recognize selfishness in ourselves in order to learn how to be selfless. By nature, we all think we're pretty good. We think pretty well of ourselves, and we would hate to think of ourselves as selfish. And so you have to look for it to find it. And so you think of things like, you know, do you easily look for excuses not to participate in things? Do you guard your time in such a way that when people ask for something, you think, oh, you know, if I do that, that's going to take away from my time at home. Or, you know, I, I don't really want to go to small group tonight and sit on somebody else's couch. I'd rather stay at home and lie on my own couch. You know, and so you start to look at these things in your life and examine yourself and invite the Holy Spirit in to examine yourself to decide where you might be selfish of your time where you might be selfish of sharing your life with other people. When someone asks for your help, do you immediately sort of pull out all the reasons why you can't help them? Or do you plan excuses ahead of time for why you're not going to be able to help with somebody that you know has a need? You know, these are areas that we have to examine ourselves and consider whether, I wonder if, if I'm selfish. Because we don't normally think of ourselves as selfish. So you actually have to stop and think about it. And that's part of what this is about, is holding ourselves up to the mirror of God's word and asking ourselves whether we are selfish. You know, are our conversations always about us? You know, do you wish other people would do things so that your life would be easier? And that, you know, if, if everything went according to my plan, then my life would be a lot easier. And the reason I'm having problems is because other people aren't behaving the way I want them to behave. That's selfishness. That's all the world, all the universe is supposed to be ordering itself so that my life is easy. And that's a selfish attitude. And so you just think about how we react to the people around us or how we think about things. Are other people letting you down? Are they just not doing what you would hope accomplish what you want? Those are yellow flags or things that would sort of trigger the fact that maybe that's an area of your life that is selfish and is going to cause tension in relationships around you. So we need to make sure that we examine ourselves to not be, be selfish. And there's a few easy things that we can do um, just by 
showing up for things, by involving ourselves in ministry, by showing up for things like a small group, showing up for church and not sleeping in, that's a sign of selflessness, that you're there for other people. By really listening to people in your group or really listening to people around you and not talking about yourself, but listening to what they have to say about them. That's a way of practicing selflessness. By offering to help people and by offering your gifts and abilities uh, to the people around you, that's a way of practicing selflessness. Um, You know, these are all things that we can do in order to work on building selflessness into our nature. And essentially, it just boils down to love. Loving others as you love yourself. And once you know and love God, God says, now I want you to learn to love other people. And that means being unselfish. And we need to work on that in our life. But selfishness can destroy a relationship, and we have to work on being selfless. The second thing is pride. Pride destroys relationships. Proverbs 3.10 says... Pride leads to arguments. And that's the first verse probably newly married people should memorize. Um, If you're in an argument with your wife, you're probably proud about something. You don't want to back down on some issue that you've, you know, state claim to and uh, admit you're wrong or anything like that. Pride leads to argument. And pride shows up in lots of different ways. It shows up in criticism if you're critical of other people, if you tend to be judgmental of other people, if you tend to look down on other people, if you tend to be picky uh, or a perfectionist. Uh, that can be a pride problem. You know, we get an idea that we have the right way that church should be done or we have the right way that the household should run or in our family, this is how we did things and everybody should do things the way we did them in our family because our family did it right. And so you get into these attitudes of that's pride. That's pride showing up in your life. I mean, you don't have to walk around town, you know, with like lights and camera and everything shining on you to be accused of being proud. Pride can show itself simply in your judgmental attitude or your assumption that your ways are always the right ways. And you remember my first thing to keep in mind is that we're all different. And this is where pride shows up is because an arm doesn't do things the same as a foot. You know, and an ear doesn't do things the same as a nose. But the ear can say, oh, the right way to do it is the ear way. And the nose is the right way to do it is the nose way. And we're together in a body to realize that there's more than one way of doing things and that to hold on to our own way, our own family way, or our own ideas of doing things is a type of pride. If you tend to be competitive and you're always comparing, you know, looking at that guy's car or looking at the job that he has or, you know, that guy's taller than me, which is almost everybody. Um, you know, <laughs> that guy's more muscular than me, which is everybody else. Um, You know, if you're comparing yourself to people all the time, that's a type of pride because you're trying to think better of yourself and compare yourself to other people. Or here's a good one. If you have stubbornness, if it's difficult to say I'm sorry, if you choke on apologies, that's a definite sign of pride. You know, if you're not able to be able to say you're sorry or that I was wrong or there's another way of doing this or I understand how you're seeing it now and I was looking at it the wrong way, if you choke on being able to say those things, You have a pride issue and you really need to look at and work on the Holy Spirit to humble yourself and to work on pride. And uh, there's lots of different ways it could show up. Um, You know, you could be the type of person that, uh, you know, when somebody's telling a story, you always have to top their story, right? So the guy's telling about his vacation and he's like, oh, yeah, we were on vacation and it was great. We, you know, we went to Florida and we went to Disney World and the kids went on this ride and you're like... Yeah, well, I went to Hawaii and I took my whole street to Hawaii and we all went on a volcano tour and we ziplined from the top of the volcano all the way down and one guy got caught halfway down and I had to go hand over hand over the zip line and rescue him. That was my vacation. Okay, that was a great vacation. (laughs) 
You know, you're always trying to one-up somebody on, on your conversation. Or when you never admit that you had a tough week, when everybody else is sharing about the, you know, the struggles in their life and they're saying, you know, I've got this problem at work or I've got this problem with my family and they're going around the room in their small group and they're sharing their difficulties and it comes to you and you're like, my life is awesome. I mean, you losers. I mean, everything is going good for me. You know, like I don't have anything that you need to pray for me about because I'm so good and my life is great. You know, if you never admit that you've had a tough week, if you never admit that that you have struggles, then that's potentially a pride problem. And so the problem with pride is that it's self-deceiving. Everybody else can see it, but we can't. When I'm full of pride, I can't see it. And so we need to trust when other people gently come and approach us and say, you know, maybe you need to think of yourself less and think of others more. Maybe, you, maybe you're struggling in this area a little bit. How can, you know, how can you work on and, and have the Holy Spirit illuminate that for you so that you can work on your pride? The Bible says in Proverbs 16:18, pride will destroy a person. A proud attitude leads to ruin. And in the message paraphrase, it says it this way. Uh, Eugene Peterson phrases it this way. First pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. And uh, so if you've had a hard fall or you feel like you've been hard done by in the past, maybe you're feeling like it was such a hard fall because you had such a long way to go from where you were originally in your attitudes. And so pride will destroy relationships. 1 Peter 3.8, though, says, gives us a bit of an antidote. In 1 Peter 3.8, he says, All of you live in harmony, be sympathetic, love each other, have compassion, be humble. There's five things he says there. Live in harmony, be sympathetic, love each other, have compassion, and be humble. And those five are really built, the four first ones are really built on the fifth one, the ability to be humble. Without humility, there will be no harmony, sympathy, love, and compassion. It requires humility to let the preferences of others come before your own preferences. It takes humility to set aside your own problems in order to sympathize with the problems of others. It takes humility to see the image of God in others and love them as much as we love ourselves. It takes humility to listen to the hurts and needs of others and care about them more than our own needs. If humility is is absent and pride is present, then all those other four things get sabotaged. They all get destroyed. If you don't have humility and there's pride there, then there won't be harmony. There won't be sympathy. There won't be love. um, You know, there won't be compassion. Pride is a breaker of relationships and humility is a healer of relationships. And so how are you and I to grow in humility? How does it happen in our lives? It happens by letting Jesus begin to control our thoughts and hearts and attitudes and reactions. We have a choice every time we're in these relational situations to either be led by our fleshly reaction or to be led by the Spirit. And so when we're in a relational situation, whether it has to do with um, you know, the selfishness or whether it has to do with pride, we can choose in that moment, am I going to react out of selfishness? Am I going to react out of pride? Am I going to react out of my flesh? Or am I going to choose in that moment to be spirit-controlled, to allow Jesus and the Holy Spirit to guide how I'm going to act? In Ephesians 4, it says, Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God's. So that's what we need to do in order to be humble. We need to put on this new nature that we've been given, and that new nature has been created to be a reflection of God's image. In Philippians 2, 3, great verses on humility here because it compares us. Uh, to the most humble it says be humble and give more honor to others than to yourselves your attitude should be the same as that of christ jesus had though he was god he did not demand and cling to his rights as god he let it go 
No one has done anything more humble than Jesus, coming from heaven to earth to become a man, to live with us, to give his life, to be resurrected for us. And so when we spend time around Jesus, when we in the moment of our relationships decide to be spirit-controlled by the spirit of Jesus, then rather than be flesh-controlled, then we have opportunities to build humility into our life. And that, build, that builds relationships. The third struggle that we all faith, face is insecurity. So selfishness can destroy relationships, pride can destroy relationships, and insecurity destroys relationships. The Bible talks about this in Proverbs 29. It says, fearing people is a dangerous trap. When I am so insecure that all I think about is your opinion and what you think of me, that cripples my life. When we live in the fear of people rather than in the fear of God, right? It cripples us like stepping in a bear trap would cripple your leg, you know? And I'm sure we've all met people who are so insecure that they are barely able to function. They're crippled by their fear of what other people think. And we've met people who have sabotaged relationships over insecurities. They've sabotaged and destroyed relationships over the fear of what other people might be thinking and them reacting to those insecurities. They're so sensitive that they lash out or they withdraw or they break the relationship before it can hurt them because they're insecure. You know, they even break relationships with people who are trying to help them out of their problem of insecurity. So insecurity is like a trap. It destroys relationships. And the problem with that fear, when people are afraid, they tend to try and control each other or to micromanage every tiny aspect of a relationship, right? You've run into people like that that have this insecurity where it's like, well, what did they mean when she said that? Or when I came into the room and they were laughing, what were they laughing about? And why did he look at me that way? And, you know, they start to micromanage every aspect of the relationship. And this is born out of insecurity. The Bible says that to fear other people leads to, it's a dangerous trap to fear the, the opinions of other people or to fear what other people think. And so um, insecurity then on our part can break relationships, even with people that are trying to build relationship with us. We're skeptical of everything in our insecurity. We're skeptical of, of, of what they're doing. And the sad thing is, is that insecurity and the breaking of relationship that comes from insecurity is largely based on nothing. Because it's usually a fear that's not even present. It's based on something that's not even present in the relationship. We're paranoid in our insecurity that somebody is out to hurt us or to take advantage of us or that there's some sinister intent behind every sentence or action when really there's nothing there at all. And so the saddest thing about relationships breaking over insecurity is they're actually breaking over things that aren't even really there. They're just fears. They're fears of, 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 of manipulation or intent or meanness that isn't even present. Let me just take a minute and talk to the guys for a minute because we're the worst about this. As guys, we hold our cards really close to us. We don't let our feelings be known. We don't let people know what we're really thinking or feeling very often. Right, guys? Right? This is very typical. And I know there's guys out there that are very touchy-feely, and I apologize that I'm blumping you in with all us loser guys who aren't that. Um, but we generally hold, speaking in generalities, we hold our cards pretty close, Right? And so let me challenge you from this, that sometime in the next five weeks, there's five weeks left in this 40 days, sometime in the next five weeks, guys, build a relationship, find a relationship, start a relationship, add this to a relationship that you have with another guy to trust one other guy that you can share how you really feel. A guy that can be your lightning rod, a guy that you can meet with and you can just rant and vent and shout and, you know, just tell him everything that's horrible that's going on in your life. And he can just be that lightning rod that absorbs all of that energy 
and then lets you be civil to everybody else in the world. And not only a lightning rod, but that guy can be a safe place to share your hardest struggles, your biggest sins, your deepest regrets, right? Because this is the reality of guys. We all live with the burden of regret. Regret is like this big knapsack that we put all our past actions in, all our mistakes, all our sins, all of our personal shortcomings, all of our character flaws. We pile all those regrets into this knapsack and then we carry it around with us every day. Things that we don't like about ourselves, things that we don't like about what we've done. We just put it all in that bag. We call it regret and we carry it around. And then we walk around regretting those things, regretting what we're not doing, regretting who we are, and then regretting the fact that we're sulking in regret. It's just an endless cycle of regret. And so, guys, I'm putting this out to you for the last five weeks here that to find another guy that can be your lightning rod and can help you unpack that knapsack of regret because it is brutal to carry that around. And the beginning of a healthy relationship for a guy is dealing with that regret. And, and it may be the same for girls. I don't know how it goes with women, but because I'm not one, obviously. Um, but, but guys, I'm putting it out there for you to build a relationship in the next five weeks where you can be the, the lightning rod for your emotions and can deal with that, that knapsack full of regret. And the beginning of relationships is dealing with that. And you need another guy to help you, and you need to help him deal with his regret. And, and all of that is another sermon, but I just wanted to put that out there today. Uh, the final uh, one today, the fourth enemy uh, of relationships is resentment. And uh, this is a big one. So um, taking offense and resenting the behavior of others will kill a relationship before it's even started. And it can also kill a relationship that might have lasted 30 years, right? If I resent somebody, I'm not even going to get to know them. I might have known somebody for 30 years and they do something that I resent, I might never speak to them again. Resentment is brutal. It destroys relationships. Job 5 Verse 2 says, to worry yourself to death with resentment is a foolish, senseless thing to do. And everybody blows it. Remember I said we're all different? Not only are we all different and look at things different and do things different in our family and have different ideas about how things should be done, not only are we all different, but we're all sinful, right? We all blow it. We all miss the mark. Nobody is batting a thousand. Everybody sins. Guys sin, women sin, I sin, you sin, the Pope sins, everybody sins. We don't measure up to God's standard. I don't even measure up to my own standards. I disappoint myself a lot of the time. And so because we're imperfect, you are going to hurt other people and other people are going to hurt you in life, whether intentionally or unintentionally. So here's the news flash. You're alive. Someone's going to hurt you. Someone's going to hurt your feelings. Somebody's going to offend you. You're going to offend somebody else. You're going to hurt somebody else's feelings. We're going to be hurt in life. That's a fact. But what's more important is what we do with that hurt. What we do with the hurt is more important than the hurt itself. Are you going to allow that hurt to teach you, to strengthen you, to make you a better person, to react in a spirit-filled way as opposed in a flesh-filled way? Or are you going to allow that hurt to make you bitter and resentful and carry a grudge? Because resentment will destroy that relationship. And if you become a resentful person, you will destroy all the relationships around you. Hardship and hurts are a test. They're a test that we either pass or fail. And we pass or fail these tests not for God's enlightenment. It's not like God is up in heaven looking and saying, okay, you know, something's gone wrong in this person's life or this person has offended the others. I'm going to wait and see how how they react. God already knows how we're going to react. God already knows our hearts. God already knows who we are. And he's already forgiven it all. So you're not testing in order to prove anything to God. 
to pass the test. The hurts in our life and the trials in our life are tests for us. The test is for us to strengthen our faith. The test is for us to go through that trial and look back and say, the Holy Spirit was moving in my life. I saw transformation in my heart because this person did something that two years ago would have set me right off. And now it doesn't set me off anymore because I realize that they're a nose or an ear and noses never think like ears. And so, you know, I realize that they're different and they have a different way of looking at things. Or I realize it might have been unintentional. Or even if it was intentional, I realize that they're in a difficult season in their life and in the end, they're a brother and sister in Christ and we're going to be celebrating in heaven for millions and millions of years together. So I'm not going to let it bother me. And so you go through these tests and you realize for your benefit that you can grow in the spirit and you can grow in your Christ likeness. And so the test of hurts is not to become more resentful, but to be more resembling uh, the likeness of Christ. And every time we pass a test and don't let resentment take over, we resemble Christ more and more. And that's one of the reasons why we believe everybody needs to be in a small group. One of the reasons that we believe everybody needs to be together in church, uh, that we need to be surrounded by people that are different than us, surrounded by people that sort of jostle us and sharpen us and knock off the rough edges, not so that we become a group of people that are really resentful and all hate each other and bitter, you know, and never speak to each other at Christmas banquets. (laughs) That's not the reason. We're together with all these different people so that we learn not to be resentful, so that we learn to grow in Christlikeness. He calls people to serve in a church on purpose. That's what God's plan is. He calls people to serve in a ministry. And not everybody that he calls to serve in a certain ministry all have the same personality or all think it should be done the same way. I mean, if you go down to Sunday school, there's lots of different ideas about how kids should be taught and whether kids should be running around screaming because it's creative and just let them be kids or whether they should be sitting in rows with their hands folded, you know, and only, you know, speaking when spoken to. And uh, so there's lots of different ways to do Sunday school. And so you can get people doing Sunday school together and they can start to build resentments about how things are being done or they can work together in the body of Christ and kids can learn about Jesus and God can be glorified in that, you know. Every ministry of the church is filled with different people who do things and look at things a little bit different. But resentment will destroy a relationship if we let it. And so those are easy examples, and they just point a little bit towards much deeper hurts and much larger tests and much harder tests that we all have in our lives right now. I'm 100% certain that 100% of you have someone in your life right now, right? That person probably, I'm like 80% sure that person's in this room, (laughs) that right now in this room that you hold some resentment towards. And for something that happened in ministry years ago or something that was said about you or something that was said about your family or just because of the way we speak or certain topics or certain habits that we have, I could be the cause of your resentment. Who knows? Um, But there's someone that you resent just a little bit right now. And the best thing that you can do to conquer resentment, the best thing we can do to rather break the relationship but build it is go to that person and talk to the offender personally in love. You go to the person that you're holding that resentment with and you say, look, I've never told you this before, but you're a jerk. No, you don't say that. (laughs) You go to that person. I've seen if you're paying attention. You go to that person in love and you say, I've never told you this before. First of all, I love you. I think you're awesome. And this thing happened and I don't know where we got off on the wrong foot or whether I heard it wrong or you were saying something or whatever happened. But this is what happened. And you know what? I have to confess. I've been carrying it with me for five years or I've been carrying it with me for five months. And I just wanted you to know that I've been carrying and it was wrong for me to carry that. But I just wanted to get our relationship fixed. And I want to set that resentment aside 
and move forward. And so if you want to build relationships as opposed to breaking them, then the best thing you can do to conquer resentment is to go and approach that person. Just say, can we talk about it? I don't want to sweep anything under the carpet. I don't want to hide it. I don't want to go home and complain about it to everyone else. I just want to put it in our past when it really is in the past. And I've said it often, but I actually... Uh, and I say it a lot in the last year that I've been here, and I actually put it in a letter that I sent out to a lot of families who used to come to Lakeside and some that still do. And I would honestly say it is the unofficial theme verse of the elders and the leadership at Lakeside this past year, and it's Hebrews 12:15. It says, Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. And I think that's really been sort of from a leadership perspective my theme verse anyway that there be no root of bitterness that grows up in the church. And that's what resentment is. It's a root of bitterness. And so the scripture tells us that if we're going to grow in healthy relationships, we can't sweep these things under the carpet. We can't allow roots of bitterness to get get locked in there and, and grow up behind us and drag us back. And we don't put anything behind us unless it truly is behind us. Because resentment is like a chain with an anchor to the past. And it will slow your Christian walk down to a crawl. It will bring your Christian walk to a halt if you don't deal with resentment. It infects your ministry. And it can stop a church if we don't deal with it. And so we have to face resentment head on because it will destroy relationships in the long run. And the only way to deal with resentment is to get in the face of it and talk it out, meet it head on. And the opposite of resentment is my favorite R word. It's redemption. When we deal with resentment, then that relationship gets redeemed. That relationship gets healed. That relationship gets fixed. You know, we can redeem hurt emotions and we can redeem stagnant ministries and we can restore what was broken. And you can say, I can't do it. I can't forgive that person. I can't go and face them. And that's why you need Jesus. That's why we need the Holy Spirit working in us. We have to set aside our flesh Pray to Jesus, allow his spirit to fill us so that we have the power through the spirit because human love runs out. We need God's supernatural love in order to do this. And so selfishness, pride, insecurity, resentment, all four of those things are all overcome by love. In Titus 3, it says this, once our lives were full of resentment and envy. He's speaking, this is Titus speaking to his Christian, or this is Paul speaking to Titus, and he is speaking Uh, of the Christians in his church and the people he loves. Once in the past, our lives were full of resentment and envy, but then Christ saved us, not because we were good enough to be saved, because we're not, but because of his kindness and love. By washing away our sins, everything is forgiven and wiped out, and giving us the new joy in the indwelling Holy Spirit. God puts his spirit of love in our lives just because of what Jesus did on the cross so that he could declare us not guilty. Hallelujah, indeed. Amen. You need to experience God's will in your life or you'll never be able to get over these four relationship destroyers, these four relationship breakers. You'll never be able to let it go until you get God's love in your every day and in your every moment. And so when you look at selfishness and you look at pride and you look at insecurity and especially when you look at resentment, all of those things are only overcome by the Holy Spirit at work in your life. And the Holy Spirit is only at work in your life if you trust Jesus. If you say to Jesus, I'm done. I can't figure it out. I've tried Oprah. I've tried Dr. Oz. I've tried Dr. Phil. I've tried it all. And I can't figure it out. Jesus, you figure it out. You come into my life. You take control of how I react. You take care of my pride and make it turn it into humility. You take my insecurities and give me security in my identity as your child you take my resentment and turn it into redemption and relationship 
And so we can only do that on our knees before God, allowing his Holy Spirit to take control of our life. And so as I close here, and we're going to close in prayer, you know, let me just ask you four personal questions. In what way are you the most selfish? Do you hang on to your money or do you guard your spare time to the extreme so that you don't have any time for people or you, you know, you won't participate in any ministry because it'll, you know, cut into your, your relaxation in the evening. How are you selfish? Is it in relationships? Are you just too busy to get to know someone new? Or are you selfish with your life, not willing to share your experiences and tell your stories to mentor a young woman or a young man, you know, to grab a coffee and share of yourself with them? Where are you most selfish? It could be anywhere. Secondly, where do you lack humility? How can you better express humility in your life or with what person do you need to express humility better? The third, what are you most afraid of in relationships? What causes you to withdraw from a relationship or what causes you to break a relationship off? What are you most insecure about or what are you most afraid of in relationships? Give that fear to God and let God conquer that fear. Trust God with your heart and see how he blesses you through deeper relationships if you can overcome that fear. And then fourthly, who do you resent? What past hurts are you not letting go? Look to it as a test and commit to God that you want to pass that test and do whatever it takes to talk to and to approach and to forgive that person that you're holding on to that resentment for so that you can stand before God a trophy of his grace because you've dealt with that resentment and that relationship is healed. Let's pray. Father God, all four of these areas are relationship killers. They are relationship destroyers. It starts with our self-centeredness where we just protect what we want too much hold on to our money too much, hold on to our time too much, uh, carve out too much of this world for ourselves and not let other people in. It starts with our self-centeredness and we just want all these things because it makes us feel better. And Father, our pride too. We want things done our way and we think we're right a lot. And so we have to recognize that there's more than one right answer and there's lots of ways of looking at the world and that there are other people that are far more important than us. In fact, you've told us that uh, the whole world uh, is more important than us in terms of reaching them with their, with their gospel, that we would lay down, you laid down your very life for this world and we're to lay down our very lives for this world uh, to get the good news out there. So Lord, help us with our pride and make us humble. And Lord, insecurity is the hardest one of these ones, I think. Father, we've all been hurt. We've all been wounded. We're carrying with us the damages of the past and that makes us insecure. It makes us fearful. But Father, we've not been called to a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love. And so, Lord, I would just pray for those that are afraid of relationships, afraid of opening up, afraid of being hurt, uh, that that on one hand, they would not mistrust people around them, that they would not uh, assume the worst of people. And secondly, that they would find one good friend that they can share their life with, that they can trust, that they can open their heart to, and that they can be mentored by to bring them along in Christ-likeness and conquer that fear. And finally, Lord, resentment. We don't want any root of bitterness to grow up in any relationship in this church. I don't care how uh, secondary or tertiary or how far removed the relationship is. I don't care if it's somebody you might only talk to once every two years. There should not be any resentment built up in any relationship in the church, and especially not in our ministries and especially not in our families. And so, Lord, if there are things that we are hanging on to, that I'm hanging on to, I would pray that you would reveal it. And that we would deal with resentment head on so that no root of bitterness would grow up and contaminate this ministry. Father, we want to be on 
we know we already are on display. We are a city on a hill. We are a light that's not under a bushel. Everybody can see the church and everybody is watching and we can't allow any bitterness or resentment to tarnish the reflection of your glory in our relationships. So, Father, teach us to be loving. Teach us to be courageous uh, in facing these resentments and setting them aside, humbling ourselves, counting others more important than ourselves so that above and beyond everything else as these relationships are healed, as the community in this church grows, the county and the village and the world around looking in will see a reflection of your love. And they will be in awe and confused and wondering and thinking, wow, how do these people love each other that much? And why would they love us? And that draws them, Lord. Your word tells us that our love for each other is our biggest testimony. It tells us, tells the world of your love. And so that's what we desire. Take these four lessons, Lord. Put them in our hearts this week. In Christ's name, amen.